Welcome to the Scottish Watches podcast. If Rick was here, he would talk for about five, ten minutes about some kind of irreverent thing, gardening, tractors, whatever. But because it's me and Dave and a special guest, we're just going to get straight into the meat of it and introduce Waco. How are you doing, Way? I'm very well, sir. How are you? We are doing well. It's early morning here over in Scotland, but it is 6pm where you're at. And where exactly are you in the world just now? I'm in, I'm in Singapore. Nice, nice. <laughs> and Dave, where are you? Ah, the same place as usual, just outside Glasgow. Um, although I'm going down to London this weekend for the first time in a good few weeks, so that'll be a, that'll be a joy. What's happening down there? Uh, catch up with a few people. Uh, I'm actually catching up with Nick at Fears, one of their friends. Uh, he's got something to show me, so that'll be quite interesting. And mm-hmm. uh, what else am I doing? Uh, not a whole lot else, just catching up with a few kind of watch buddies and some folk that I haven't seen for a while due to the joy of lockdown. But other than that, nothing super exciting. Dave, you're the head of Red Bar in uh, in the UK, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So we started Dick off... head of Red Bar. Yeah, I say, yeah. <laughs> chief, chief, chief idiot. Um, <laughs> I've got... Yeah, so we started with London, which you'll, you'll be kind of familiar with, but we've now got quite a few across uh, the UK. We've got... Glasgow and Edinburgh were the kind of next two big groups that Ricky's kind of a part of. Um, then we also had Newcastle, Manchester, Bristol, wow. Belfast, and we've just started up the kind of uh, this what they're calling it the southeast. So kind of the home counties, Essex, uh, all around nice. that kind of neck of the woods. Really, because London's London's now the biggest group actually. Um, New York and London are in the world. Well, oh yeah, I mean I think there's nearly. 800 people registered for, for London shit. Group, which is uh, completely, it's amazing, but it's, it's unattainable in the respect of even before COVID, trying to get a venue that can handle 200 people, never mind 800, is just not possible really in London, especially central yeah. London. But a huge number of them are kind of in and about London, commuters. So Kevin and actually Samantha, you know, Samantha, who does some of this stuff with mm-hmm. us, um, she's a... So she lives kind of on the outskirts and Kevin's just moved out of the city and they both kind of said, hey, can we set one up out here? So we're like, that's a great idea. That means that it'll take some of the pressure off central London and those folk who have to run for trains to get back out at 10 o'clock at night can actually hang about till the death and get completely and utterly <laughs> hammered and drag themselves slivering across the floor home. Nice, which is, nice. uh, I mean, Sam's like that anyway. The only thing Sam will miss is not being able to eat a, a drunk burger on the train on the way home. The, so the question oh, wow. I have for you was like... Uh, London was supposed to be the venue of the global get together this year, if I'm not That's mistaken, right? Yeah. right? Yep. And and that was something that I was going to come to, and I think everyone was so eagerly anticipating that. And you know, and Adam was like, you know, was was telling me all about the plan. So what was it gonna what was it gonna be like, and is this going to happen like say next year? You know? Okay. So yeah, I mean. Obviously, it was New York. The first kind of proper global, so to speak, was was uh, 2019 in New York as you're there. I think you were over as well, actually. You popped in, I think, I a was. couple of bits. Yeah. yeah. And we we decided, let's do another one. Let's do London, though. So we've got that kind of European side of things. And um, myself and Kathleen, actually, um, who, as you're probably well aware from speaking to, to Adam, uh, if nothing gets done unless Kathleen actually does it. So Kathleen <laughs> kind of... Uh, took control as she always does and she's great at organising stuff so me and her spent a good couple of weeks um, now when was it that would have been February yeah February March uh, time she was over in February and March organising stuff for what we were going to do um, it was looking amazing we had um, some great brands on board to support us um, from kind of uh, folk from the Swatch group so we had Swatch we had Breggy we had uh, Omega on board we had uh, the guys from Mont Blanc on board we had um, 
you know, folk from loads of different brands on board for doing stuff. We had some great venues. We had a kind of mini fair set up. So for a lot of the smaller brands or brands like Fears or Vertex and these kind of brands that don't have boutiques, we'd set up a kind of venue where there was going to be a kind of watch fair type thing going on so that they could all get involved as well. We had so much stuff. But obviously, in fact, in that the last thing, the last Red Bar meeting that happened in the UK was... Was it Mark? Was it ended? Uh, when was it, Ricky? It was ours. It was the Scottish Watches X Red Bar, and it was uh, March tenth. That's right. And basically, I'd been down in London the week before with Kathleen, and she was actually coming up to that Glasgow one, and then yeah, because you brought a whole load of the London folk with you. That's right. Shit hit the fan then, and actually, that was the. The, the day before she was coming up, Kathleen was in desperately trying to get a flight back to the States because of this whole COVID thing. Oh, wow. So it kind of, um, we, we pushed it at that point. We thought, hey, can't be that bad as everyone in the world did. And we pushed it to September time. And then as that got closer, it was like, that ain't happening either. Um, yeah. So we've pushed it. We've got two tentative dates. We've got one for the spring next year and one for kind of late summer next year. I would probably guess it will be late summer by the time it gets to some form of normality that because we thought if we have to do it and restrict numbers if we have to tell folk they can and can't do things it just isn't the same vibe so we did obviously mm-hmm. the uh, the virtual one which actually you know for virtual which lacks some kind of interpersonal and it's not as good but it was better than nothing for sure and we had some great speakers on and some great folk kind of getting involved with that so that was good but we've got obviously the the, the plans to still have this big proper party and i think it well, will well, be let a party. me know man I'll oh, absolutely. And, and I don't know if, if, if um, Kathleen had mentioned this to you, but um, Adam and I had a, a conversation about it and we were going to bring um, Jean-Claude Beaver out to be the uh, the guest for your first night, you know? That's so, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. there was a, that, that was one of the things me and Kathleen were talking about and there was a whole load of things kind of gone up. So we'd reached out to loads of folk who could tap up somebody to come along. So we had quite a few folks. So yeah, fingers crossed. And I think if, if, if it happens, it'll probably be one of the first big watch events of any organization um next year so it probably should be well not probably it will be a proper rammy so it'll be good fun build it sir and i will come we cannot wait excellent well this episode of the scottish watches podcast is brought to you in association with revolution magazine and red bar (laughs) right let's start let's start the show in the middle now (laughs) now we've got the promo out of the way so let's ask the guest what are you wearing today on the wrist? Ah, that's uh, a, an interesting question, actually. It's a watch that I just received a couple of hours ago. And oh. it, unexpectedly enough, it's a Gerard Perigo. And it's the Laureato Absolute that's made using the carbon glass, which I'll hold up to the uh, the camera here. Oh, and it was really yeah. interesting. Cool. I, you know, I, 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 I hadn't owned a Gerard Perigo for quite some time. Um, and I saw this one and I was like, I think it's really cool looking, right? And so I had a little chat with the guys over there and I said, you know, hey, can I, can I, can you show me one? They managed to get one over for me to see. And I was like, dude, it's dope, right? And, and the thing is, it's that they're, and this is no discredit to, to the established brands, right? But there are a couple of watches that like everyone kind of wears, right? And, and everyone feels like they've become a watch expert if they have a, you know, a 5711 or a 15202, which I love as well, right? But it, it becomes a situation where, you know, everyone's just talking about the same watches all the time. And I think it's nice yeah. to kind of go off the beaten path every once in a while. So I, I have that. And then on my desk, I've got the um, Laurent Ferrier collaboration, which we did. Nice. Lovely. Thank you. So we the 12 piece limited edition with that. Um, and then I have probably one of my favorite watches of all time, which is um, an old Roger Dubuis uh, chronograph, an H40 
um, which was launched in 95. I think this is one of the later dials, so from early 2000, and with the Lamania 2310 movement, you know, which I think is, is still the most stunning movement of all time. Very nice. Brilliant. Very, very Thank nice. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Dave. Uh, what am I wearing? I, I've gone ugly today, so I've got a Tudor P01, which is nice. the mm. best looking, ugliest watch in the world. Totally. Um, yeah, you were one of the first people to get a hold of that last year. You brought it to our Tudor event at Mapping and Web. Yeah, it was quite humorous, wasn't it? Going to a Tudor event and Tudor didn't even have one. That was quite humorous. And showing them up. <laughs> yeah, behind the scenes, we were all kidding on that Tudor had supplied this and it was actually your watch. Yeah, I, I loved it from the first minute I saw it, but I do have a bit of a penchant for slightly left field pieces like that because um, I, I like the fact that it brings a talking point more than anything. But actually... Yeah. Too many people, you know, you know, watches can be very conservative sometimes with a small C, you know, the classic, oh yeah, unless it's a submariner and unless it's this and unless <laughs> it's that, it's, 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 it's crap. And you're like, well, that's nonsense because most of the, most of the interesting pieces out there and the things that move things forward are far from normal, you know. This is kind of an interesting piece as well. So that's a skinny engineer, but I don't know if you can see it on the camera. It's got an Omani crest on it. Oh, very is- nice. Thanks. And, and this actually used to be my friend Nick Fowkes' watch, and I've always liked it. And, and when I always told him, if you ever you know, think about getting rid of it, please let me know. Yeah. One day he called me up, and so you know, now I have the opportunity to, to wear it for a couple of years, which is great. Very nice. So you're basically just surrounded by nice shoes and watches, we? Yeah, nice shoes, uh, watches. Uh, I, got a, I got a knife. <laughs> that's not a knife that's a knife uh, well, well, well said you're not in the UK <laughs> yeah, I, I have one. these as well <laughs> this is, I have a, a pair you know. that's from that is it, are you is from that, Glasgow? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've never been to Glasgow are you saying that I'll all this bring your toys with you <laughs> yeah knuckle dusters and knives exactly. we love that kind of shit around here yeah absolutely <laughs> Wow. Well, okay. You guys have told me what you're wearing. I've got something on the wrist that's in on loan as well. And this is from a brand, a bit like you were saying with GP. This is a brand that flies under the radar a little bit. This is Maurice Lacroix Icon Watch. And this is the one that is in limited edition, olive green strap with bronze. One of 500 pieces. It's limited by number, but not on the back. It doesn't tell you which number it is. Very inexpensive. This comes in at just about the £2,000 mark. In the box it comes in, everything is brilliant. Under magnification with the macro camera lens, it looks phenomenal. It totally punches above its weight. What does a cost, uh, watch like that go for, like in terms of price? This one is 2100 Like For me, I think that's what's kind of cool and exciting about about watches right now is that there's so much creativity happening yeah. at what used to be kind of a, lo- a lower price point, right? So if you look at like Hamilton, or if you look at Longines, or if you look at Oris, or even if you look at brands that um, like Baltic, for example, you know, uh, mm. they're just killing it. I mean, their designs are phenomenal. And and I, want, I think that's super important because like, I think people forget sometimes that from an absolute perspective, a watch is a crazy amount of money, right? You know, like we, we're like, hey, that's like five grand. That's not too bad. That's a good price. You know, like I, I bought the Tudor Black Bay 58 this year because um, I think it's such a great value for money but at the same yeah. time you know you know 4,000 US dollars is still a shitload of money for a lot of people so it's great to see that there's there's like dope stuff happening at an accessible price point well I totally agree this year I've seen that the watches that we've had in for review this year's been good for us because everyone's gone virtual everybody wants to send us pieces it's the inexpensive ones that I've loved the most it's the there's a brand called Zelos you may have heard of they have got a bronze watch that's around about maybe $400 nice. it arrived in I didn't know the price of it I started talking about it thinking it was a grand 
and it wasn't. I get corrected on that, and it's phenomenal. Uh, you've got that, you've got the Aura stuff, i got the Aura's Hanging in this year, which is around about, the, again, it's £2,100, yeah. I believe, UK, and it's absolutely incredible. You cannot beat it for the money. You know, the, the thing is, it's all, it's. I always get this, like, oh, you know, young people are not um, interested in, in mechanical watches, or watches in general, because I, I, there's lots of dope quartz watches as well, and I think that's not true. I think that, to some extent, the idea for a young person, especially someone just getting out of school, like the idea of owning a Rolex or for example, is so prohibitively expensive. Let's put aside the fact that you it's hard to get, right? Uh, and, I, and I'm not saying that Rolexes are expensive from an absolute perspective. It's just that, you know, just because all luxury watches now are so expensive that the idea to him of, of, of owning that is is completely far-fetched, right? It's it's kind of like yeah. how a, a, a young person today coming out of school is going to think like the idea of me owning an apartment in central London is... It's just ludicrous. It's never going to happen, right? Yeah. And 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 I think that that now you know when you have these wonderful watches emerging for a couple hundred bucks, um, I, like one that I look at all the time um, is, or I, I reference all the time, is the Hamilton Khaki Field, right? Yeah. That's yeah. A, dope ass watch it's a couple hundred bucks um you know then you you really have uh, the opportunity for people to kind of get into the the culture of it because unless you have it on your wrist unless you develop a relationship with it uh, a relationship with it that's always going to be something that that is alien to you and once you get into it it's kind of like that's all you need you need that first kind of foray that first kind of connection and then and then you'll you'll get into it you know and and that's these point of access watches are so important for the future my kind of equivalent of that one for 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 my kind of reference one is is a citizen actually it's a citizen titanium eco the ray mears you know it's 299 quid in the uk it's all titanium it's it's front loading it's waterproof to god knows what it's loomed up amazingly it's it, it's finished really well and you know it's very accessible and it looks fantastic mm-hmm. and you know that that to me is what makes it it's those pieces it's when you see also folk who you know have proper hitter pieces wearing those kind of watches as well that you think okay that 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 says a lot you know that that's where people should aim themselves it's it's not easy to access the expensive parts sorry you know the expensive watches are difficult to access but some folk can access them but if you can access them but also understand that there's excellent watches for much much less money that that's what makes a true kind of watch collector to me not a collector of expensive objects which is very different totally look at Anne Ordain this year they've absolutely hit it out of the park and they bat around about the thousand pound price point there or thereabouts and they're getting press coverage in Hodinkee I'm sure Revolution have talked about them you know and they look incredible obviously they're made in Scotland so I'm a little bit biased (laughs) but you don't have to spend 10 grand for that kind of thing they've got Moser looks on the dial for pocket money change for big collectors well absolutely up till a few years ago if you mentioned Fumi dial to anybody you're immediately thinking okay bare minimum of four figures and more likely five figures and yeah. Without that, and, and at that, four figures would get you something that would be a poor Fumi dial. Whereas, you know, mm. there's now people, you know, and to be fair, we've been there. Their workshop is fantastic. It's a properly good creative space. And you're watching dedicated, you know, time served professionals craftsmen. making these things. Yeah, crap, true craftsmen making these things. And that's interesting. Well, you to know, watch. I think that kind of brings up an interesting subject matter because I really see, especially this year, for for whatever reason, I think there's a couple of reasons, a, an incredible kind of renaissance for independent watchmaking, right? Because um, it, it kind of goes through like you know, like you know, different phases, and and I would say kind of ten years ago 
Okay, let's say like in the beginning of the millennium, like around 05 or so, it, the culture really started to build momentum, you know, and there's a couple of people who I think were key pe- figures behind that. There's a friend of mine in Singapore named uh, Michael Tay, was really kind of pushing independent watchmaking as, as a, you know, a, a very personal craft and, and you know, uh, art form. And uh, he's interesting, too, because it was his dad who actually bankrolled um, Philippe Dufour for the Grand Sonnery project as well. So it's kind of oh, like, really? it's all, yeah, it's always been something um, that they believed in. Yeah, that's that's the incredible thing. If, so you could actually make the argument that if it wasn't for Mike's dad, uh, Dufour wouldn't, you know, be what, what be wouldn't, is. wouldn't yeah. even exist, right? So, so uh, um, and I think that what's, what's cool about Singapore is that there's always been a kind of a courage to be early adopters for things. But then, you know, then it, it, we went through a phase where it became kind of really dominated by the big brands and those brands probably gained an even bigger market share this year, right? And they're dope. I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I, I, basically bleed either green for paddock or brown i'm sorry green for rolex or brown for paddock you know like uh, i i love those brands um but uh that having been said uh you really see a resurgence in the interest in independent watches and i think part of that is is commercial right i think that people have seen the prices of dufour um uh you know, simplicities and, and you can see what's happened with jorn this year um <laughs> and you know they're now the prices are, are getting to especially for the earlier pieces are getting kind of crazy um and everyone's like oh maybe you know independent watchmaking really is that that art form that i should start like taking a, taking a look at right um oh, yeah and i think that also there is also so, like the whole idea of authenticity um, is incredibly important too. So whether it's independent watchmaking related to, like you're saying, a smaller operation in Scotland, but made by real people, like, and you get to meet the people that that actually designed and made the watch for you. Yeah. Um, we are about to launch a collaboration with this guy named Michael Holtenriches, right? Who's based in uh in, in Amsterdam? No, I'm sorry, Delft in the Netherlands, right? And mm-hmm. he's just one dude with like a, in a in a you know in, in a room making these really great watches, and he had a vision for like a watch with like a super kind of I want to say you know complex case in terms of its skeletonization of the lugs in terms of like the recession around the case band and he could only achieve it through 3D printing which he did and then he uses like a vintage Pezzo uh, manual wine movement in there but he finishes he does the angles of every movement by himself right on, on he's the one that's that's assembling every watch he's the one that's cutting the hands and there's something very special about that right so I, it's yeah. interesting that you have right now it's the era dominated by the big brands you know especially you know rolex paddock and i guess ap to some extent and you know yeah i would say there's quite there's a few others as well i would say actually cardi has been doing an amazing job but then you have this kind of real excitement about um independent watchmaking and i was talking to the gronenfeld brothers and i'm like how's it going they're like dude we don't even we have we're just struggling to deliver now like it's right you know and so that's really interesting and i think it is interesting as well because again you know you've got this you do get this innate snobbery sometimes within this kind of uh, you know world that we live in, enthusiasts, whatever. And you tend to find that a lot of them get in through accessible pieces. Then they move on to the bigger kind of known brands, your Rolexes, your Omegas, your whatever, all of these brands. And then they kind of elevate themselves into the independence and they'll move into... You know, as you say, your FP Jones or into your, your Chikins and all of these different brands. And they, they, some of them, too many of them, unfortunately, suddenly get this kind of complex about everything below them is crap or it's it's just mass produced <laughs> or and everything else. And I hate that because yeah. the fact that those big brands, yeah, but the fact that those big brands like Omega and you know Rolex and all of the other big names, high street names are doing so well at the moment. It's that that's also driving the the growth in those independents because Absolutely. without them doing so well, you wouldn't have independents, you know, and you wouldn't have 
people moving through the ranks and then suddenly being after these pieces. And as you say, you go to any of them. You know, like I love Chaikin because the guy's, the, the guy's A, is Russian and he's mental and what's not to love about mental Russians, you know? I mean, there's nothing to not love there. But that creative mind space just... You, you would never see a joker. A joker wouldn't exist in the Swiss watch mm-hmm. industry other yes. than, a, a, you know, maybe the odd crazy guy. But, you know, even brands like, you know, Moser, who are definitely slightly left of centre for sure for the Swiss watch industry, but still broadly in a, a reasonably kind of safe space compared to yes. where Chaikin's throwing things or even the Gronefelds or, you know, Jurn, who are, you know, Jurn's got that kind of Gaelic flair about them where you're just like, it's a crazy idea and the Swiss would probably think about it and then go, nah, we'll just leave that. Whereas he brought yeah. it to life and, you know, the resonance, who doesn't want a resonance? But then in the same hand can do a Chrono Blue, which is alongside the Ishii 2, probably the two best time-only pieces ever made, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think that if, again, if it wasn't for Rolex and Paddock, right, um, you would not have a possibility for the culture of independent watch- watchmaking yeah. and not with its the success it's had at the scale and level it's had, um, you know, over the last two, two decades, right? Yeah. And, and and it's like those brands forge a foundation that everyone kind of prospers off of. And, and they still make really dope watches. It's really funny because, I, you know, as you were saying, I think the cycle almost kind of goes that like, you know, you, you get into like your, your basic sports model watches and then you get into kind of your complicated watches and you probably move from there into your, maybe your IWC or your Panerai's or and then from there you go into APs and then you go into, you know, probably your paddocks and then you go into independent watchmaking. And then it, while you're in independent watchmaking, you're like nothing that's made from a big brand is going, it can be any good. And then at the very end of the cycle, you probably put like a Tudor Black Bay back on and you're like, that's what I really wanted to begin with. Cradle to grave. It's funny. You say that and actually I, I i i didn't name him but in the last podcast i referenced somebody but um you know like that's like my friend jamie so jamie was into kind of he had you know the classic pieces so he had a you know a, 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 a swiss only white dial explorer he had a black bay the original black bay 58 he had all these pieces but he always had in his head i want azure had to be azure he wanted a chrono blue and he went through lots of steps to get to a point where he managed to buy a chrono blue from Jurn in the Paris boutique, you know, within the last 18, 24 months, loves it to bits, but has still his daily go-to is his BB58, you know, and, and and like everyone who, and, and, and he said that they said the one of the things that he kind of learned was that, you know, you think that when you want to get there, that's the only thing you'll ever wear, but then you realise <laughs> that actually, you know, and, and indep- these independents, they have challenges that you don't get with the big guys. You know, the big guys have long warranties, long service periods, amazing quality control procedures that, you know, mean these pieces are super, super reliable and you can bang them about and wear them day to day. And some of the more exoteric stuff that you get from independence, it comes with a little bit of care that you have to do to it. You know, like, yeah, you probably could wear it every day, but you need to be prepared to spend <laughs> okay. the money to keep it going. Since this is a Scottish watch broadcast, uh, a podcast, <laughs> excuse me and we can be irreverent and, and kind of like uh, very candid it's like yeah you know like sometimes i'm like yeah i miss the whole jorn thing because as much as i admire him as a watchmaker and i and i, I think he's a genius obviously right and i actually love the design of his watches like and had i bought like a lot of watches i had the opportunity to buy earlier i would they, i would have made a ton of money on them but i don't believe in buying watches based on that mm-hmm. the very first um, watch i ever brought from him bought from him which is his simple chronometer it broke down three times in one month, right? And it was like, you know, um, 
Yeah. And then I just, I just couldn't, I can't, you know, and, and I guess you, there's a price to be paid to be, you know, I think it was one of his very first uh, of that model. McLaren's break down all the time as well. That's yeah. right. It's kind of like 80s Lamborghinis, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> and, and, and it's, you know, that that's absolutely true. And, you know, talking about that, and this is absolutely not having a go at Jorn, you know, because yeah. all of these brands, and especially when they get ultra complicated with some of these movements that they're coming up with, they have inherent challenges. But, you know, like the with the resonance, there's, you know, I don't know as much as some of the folk that know, but, you know, there's, there's all these different movements and they kept tweaking the movements to improve them. But then you've got collectors now who want the, the movement that they only made 20 of, but he only made 20 because right. it didn't work properly and it needed service all the time but that's the one they want and you're just like in what world do people go out spending more money than they should do on something that they know yes. doesn't work because it's rare but that shows you yes. the lunacy of watches I suppose I think that they'll also you know um, and again this is this is not I'm, I'm not saying that this is incorrect it's actually it's it's perfectly fine because it's completely legal right but the idea that um, things happen in a completely organic way where it's collectors that are causing the rise of these prices to happen for specific brands that's just a bit naive, right? I mean, that's oh, pure. Yeah. That's that's basically a room full of guys got together, many of which are you know are you know jury members of one of the biggest uh, watch awards you know, <laughs> uh, organization in in, in 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 I guess in, in Switzerland, and and uh, and decided that listen, uh, you know, what are we gonna let's let's take this and and bring it to this price point, right? And they yeah. did it very cle- cleverly. It, a lot of people were in on it, and you know, the person obviously that benefited the most from that was um, is Fonso Paul, right? You know. I would say it's different. You know, I would also say that, that you know, Dufour, um, there was probably a, quite a bit of guidance related to, to Dufour's prices being what they are. But I think he kind of deserves it as well. Um, because, he, again, bear in mind, too, that, you know, of all the simplicities that went from, you know, like, what, $60,000 watches to I don't even know what they cost now, like a million bucks. Um, in a very short period of time, if uh, Philip Dufour never, you know, he never, he never profited from from any of that. I think he only profited from the last watch that was sold because that was the prototype that he owned. And quite honestly, over the course of the career that he's had, who's, you know, I mean, he deserves that and far more, right? Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes that's a sad thing, isn't it? That is the sad thing that sometimes the creator of these pieces isn't the one who ultimately is benefiting from this. No, mm-hmm. no, um, no. I think that that you know the the watch. That's the thing also that and and. It's always great that you you're able and able to afford certain reference pieces that you know in the context of being a watch collector you're like oh I have to have that that's that's so important to have um, but bear in mind also that the reason why you like that is because a bunch of other people decided that you want that's what you should like and that's what it should cost yeah. right you know mm-hmm. and and I think that that the Paul Newman Daytona is a very good example of that right like. I yeah. think well, there was kind of a dip in in uh, just after the financial crisis in 08 to uh, like I guess eleven, and, and the prices became a little bit softer. But then it was kind of like okay, we're gonna we're gonna ramp these things all the way back up to you know I guess a couple hundred grand for a pump pusher one, and minimum half a million for a screw pusher uh, watch. And then we're gonna take the ones that um, are rare, but at the moment no one wants, like the the, the John Player specials or all the gold uh, Paul Newman's, and we're gonna make those super super rare. And then, you you know, you essentially, so you, you, you know, I was interviewing someone recently who I quite like, um, uh, who and I think is very smart, uh, who named, he goes by the handle Santa Laura on Instagram, right? right. And he's a Singaporean collector, a really cool dude, but he, he you know, very intelligently pointed out that when you're buying into, you know, whatever these key icons that you need to have as a watch collector, you're basically buying the trends that have been created by someone else. 
right? And who who are profit, who essentially are are profiting from from these trends, yeah. which they now create. And that's kind of like how the history of 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 vintage watches and now even contemporary independent collectors has been uh, shaped by certain certain people, right? Oh no, absolutely. And you know, I think as you say, it's naive to not think that or understand that because it's the same as any other collecting of anything really you know whether it's absolutely artwork paintings classic cars anything you know it's there's there's a narrative being driven by somebody somewhere and sad you know sad sadly it's not illegal but sadly it's always generally driven by somebody making money somewhere you know that's ultimately <laughs> the end goal but hey that's that's how that's that's how the world that's we live in goes around you know that that's that's, <laughs> that's 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 the world that we as a species have decided to create and we need to live with it but but to not to, absolutely to, to not go in with your eyes open, I think, is is naive. And, you know, I think, you know, as long as you go in understanding what you're getting into, then that's all that really matters, you know. And, yes. You know, try, try you know, I, I've always believed, you know, and, and I'm by no means immune to being driven by what seems to be popular and things, but I do generally try and try and always bring into my thought, I mean, do you actually like it? Do, do you want it? Or do you want this because someone's telling you you want it? Which yeah, is, you're seeing is, a lot of it. And sometimes the answer is, yeah, I don't care. Yep, someone's telling me I want it. I'm a sheep. Who cares? I like it. I'm going to get it. And sometimes it's like, actually, yeah, no, I, I don't want it. I want something well, else. Well, you've kept away from Rolex up until a couple of months back and you've been a watch enthusiast and collector for decades. Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. The, 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 the one and only that I have ever bought and or owned was within the last couple of months. And funnily enough, you know, you know, I've told you this, Ricky, but my narrative and it was was that actually, yes, I like it because I like bright colours and I like. Oh, I've you got, got the got, LP. Nice. I, yeah. I, I got an OP in the coral red stroke emergency orange, which, nice. is, which should be its real name. And it was for no other reason than a couple of my friends who are into Rolex were like, you're thinking about getting a Rolex? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It better not be one of those OPs and it better not be one of the bright ones. Oh, yeah, it definitely is because it's going to really annoy you. You know, and there was definitely a bit of me was like, that'll really annoy them because they're, they're not keen on it. But I, I think it's great and it's a great looking piece. Did you choose 36 or 41? 41, um, purely because actually I typically do like a bigger watch. I wear things like, you know, uh, Ploprofs and generally bigger watches. And actually to me, well, there was a big, you know, the whole hoo-ha about, oh, 39 stroke 41. It's the same size, give or take. There's, you know, there's really yeah. very little difference. And that's just the size that I typically like. Um, although I did try on a yellow one in the 36 and actually it's a lovely yeah. size as well strangely the, the, the 30 the, yeah yeah the, 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 the 36 like seems bigger than a 36 and the 41 seems smaller than a 41 yeah. which is a bit I think weird that's intentional i have to say i think and, and first of all i think that you know because listen you know again everything's so trend driven now so now it's almost like you have to feel like you have to justify why you want to watch over 40 mm <laughs> it's like dude come on. you know because it's so driven by like oh you know and i it's funny it was it horological dictionary one of these humorous memes it was, it was like a picture it was like a statement it's like no 34 mm is the right size of a watch and then it cuts to the picture of the guy saying it he looks like a you know a nine-year-old child right so i i think you should just wear whatever the hell makes you happy but but i i want to talk about those rolexes those ops because i think it was so dope that in a year where like everyone needed a little bit of cheering up right mm-hmm. um that rolex basically drops in their most accessible model, like most accessibly priced model, not accessible in terms of being able to get one. So you got to explain to me how you got yours. But <laughs> accessible in, t- in terms of like pricing, they dropped some of the sickest watches they've ever created, which are in many ways an homage to the old Stella dial watches. And if you hold a Stella dial, because like 
Jared Koo posted his, you know, you know, his yellow Stella next to um, his his Pikachu, right? Like, and the sort of like translucent glossiness of those dials is almost identical. And so it's so amazing that they did that, and it's such an uplifting thing to do in a year, you know, in a year where we basically all needed a little bit of uplifting, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, people have spoke more about the coloured OPs this year than changing the Submariner. Yep. Well, so that's, that yeah. tells you something. I also feel as if like the changing of the Submariner kind of like identified that uh, sometimes people kind of like, <laughs> and and who, I forgot who it was that said that the like social media or the internet has started, this can be a very intolerant place and it became a little bit too intolerant this year, right? But like people just lost their shit when it, when it, it came out that it was going to be a 41 mm size, right? They're like, how could you possibly do that? You are such fools. Don't you know that everyone's mm-hmm. going smaller? You know, um, death to you, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and it was like uh, when you actually measured the two watches, right? It was, I forgot, it was like just over 40.3 mil. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and so the actually the, the difference was in terms of absolute dimension was negligible. And I kind of feel as if it came off a little bit lo- larger simply because they made the um, lug width wider, right? Yeah. Because they, they wanted to incorporate the a, a, a wider bracelet. Yeah. And and actually, if you hold the watches side by side, it comes off as a much more elegant and sort of beautifully mm-hmm. shaped watch, much like, you know, the, the kind of watches of, of yore that we love. So again, it's kind of like, dude, like, just chill and, yeah. and, 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 and you know, check it out, watch the videos um, before you start screaming, right? Because there's a lot of yeah. screaming that happened this, oh, this year. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, like my, my, one of my favorite phrases for most things in life is opinions are like arseholes. We've all got one. And it, exactly. It's true because, like, you know, everyone jumped on it immediately. They jumped all over these kind of, you know, coloured OP, Stella Dial reissue type things, you know, giving it, oh, these are horrific. They're so on Rolex, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, they're so on Rolex that they did them 30 years ago. So, have yeah. you seen the Leopard Daytona? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Leopard, I, I love the Leopard Daytona. <laughs> yeah. That's a little bit on Rolex. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, I think, I think, I think you're right. I think they're, they, they actually made me smile. You know, generally when Rolex releases anything, I quit, yeah. I, I literally, I look at it. And I go, yeah, okay, more of the same. Yeah. Boring, yeah. You know, not un- not unnice watches. You know, the Pepsi's a lovely watch. They make some lovely watches, but I look at them and go, yeah, it's like another yeah. grey Ford Focus as far as I'm concerned. It's meh. And but then this they, one brought makes you smile. they brought those out and I went, hey, look at them. They are racing. That's, and, that, and, that's there was awesome. so, and there were so many colours, you know, it's like other than yeah. the, the silver and the black, which are meh, all, all the other colours I would have happily had. Tiffany. And the only thing that the only thing that I wish they'd done was done a forty-one. Let me guess, pink, pink, pink in the forty-one. That would Amazing. have been the one, uh, absolutely yes. been the one. And um, you know, like uh, I actually saw a picture. Can't remember it was on Instagram randomly, but somebody fired the the Jubilee bracelet from the Datejust straight onto it, direct fit. And it looks amazing. Oh, wow. He's got a, he's got a Tiffany blue forty one, I think it is. Oh wow! With the with a jubilee bracelet on it, and it looks so good, so good. Wow. You know, and suddenly I'm like, that'll really annoy them even more, the Rolex fanboys, because they're putting the wrong bracelet <laughs> on a bright coloured dial. What her- heresy is this? <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that you 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 said pink because yeah, they only make the pink in the thirty six, uh, but it yeah. would have been so dope in the forty one. Like so, for me, if I was going to go pink, I would I would go with forty one because that's you want it to be a little bit you know more in your face. So it's a pink dial, yeah. But um, it, it it brought brought up something that I'm working on now, and, and it's you know right now it's just a concept, so I, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I, I like to think it will. Um, so you know I, I don't know if you, you guys know, but so this year we did a, a charity auction for COVID solidarity, right? 
And we were very happy. We well, we managed to raise two hundred eighty thousand uh, dollars for COVID charities around the world, including the NHS in the UK. So, like, and for me, you know, I, I've been saying this a lot, but I kind of feel as if, like, for any business moving forward, you kind of need to also kind of demonstrate what are you giving back to everyone. It's not enough yeah. that you're just you're just making money. Um, it's not enough that you know you you you're having a good time, but you need to create a little bit. I guess the the, the term everyone's using now is social responsibility. But I, but I believe that right. So I, I come up with this concept called the Pink Dial Project, right? And that's, so I'm going to go to a bunch of different brands, like basically everyone. And I'm going to be like, just make me one watch with a pink dial, right? And it kind of mm-hmm. only works if you're making a watch that really almost like that shouldn't have a pink dial, like, you know, like a, like an IWC Flieger, you know, yeah. or, you know, something like, something like that. But then it's got this hot pink dial on it. And I want to put together a collection of unique pieces, all with pink dials, and auction them in October uh, to benefit breast cancer. Because I think we can all agree Amazing. that we all we can all hate cancer and we all yep. love breasts. Correct? Yep. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. No, no arguing here. <laughs> That's the strap line for the marketing campaign. <laughs> And do you know what? Do you know what? I'm like immediately thinking of that. I can think of so many. Well, me and you could host it, and it could be hosted by a couple of tits. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Two Scottish you tits auctioning titty good, watches. Good guys, if 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 uh, if you're willing, and if this project comes off the ground, you guys should be the host of the charity auction. We, we will do that. We will do We're that. Up for that. Oh, I'm just I'm just suddenly thinking of how many brands would look amazing with a pink dial. So right, but so wrong. Oh, Dude, I'm just I'm just thinking. All I'm thinking right now is Moser flyback with a fit with a pink dial. Oh, amazing, amazing. Although, <laughs> bed, of course, bed. the dream is, and, and and I I don't know. I you know I'm not saying that this would ever happen. But if if you know Paddock was to roll up with a 5711 oh. with a hot pink dial, like yeah. or or AP was to drop a 15202 with a hot pink dial, which is incidentally 100 percent in the same way we did it our, our last charity. It's 100 percent of the proceeds got to go to um uh, the, to the appointed charities. And then yeah. the other thing that we always did with our auctions was like listen, bro, if you have a specific charity that you want that's benefiting this cause, go ahead and name it and we'll give, we'll give it to that charity for the people that win the auctions too. So Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, and you know, saying that, I think, you know, in a semi-serious point, because we, 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 we can actually be serious on Scottish watches when we want to be, um, I, I absolutely agree with everything you said there, the sentiment and actually the, the, you know, the doing as well, because again, you know, you know, Red Bar, we do, lots of stuff for charity as well and we do it on a kind of global scale but we also do it on a a, a regional or a kind of local level and I think one of my one of the things I enjoyed most actually was something we did with uh, it happened to be with G-Shock um, when was it was it last year I think it was last year where start last year yeah that's right we did an auction um, we'd done some events with them and you know whenever brands approach us to say hey can we do something I'm always my my first one of my first questions is always okay but you know like what, what what can we do that will benefit others? And it's, you know, not what does it benefit the brand? Not what does it benefit Red Bar? Because we know what it benefits. We get a load of free drinks and some food and get to see some nice watches. They get some publicity. That's just a commercial trade. That's, you know, a commercial trade. What, what does someone else less, less well off than us get? whatever that is and you know they were great those guys were great because they actually had um, a Japanese artist in who did three unique pieces they kept one for their museum they uh, they gave one uh, to to us to use for a, a charity auction and you know, we we did a, a an auction and raised some great money, and they also gave you the infrastructure. They allowed you to host it yep, through they their used, they back used, end yeah, on their they, website. That's right. They used their commercial infrastructure that they've got to allow us to do it in a kind of really fair and kind of legal balanced manner. And again, what we did was we sat down and said, okay, like 
who do you feel you want to give it to? And we both came to Centerpoint, which is kind of like a teenage, you know, homeless charity who looks after kind yeah. of underprivileged teenagers and such like. And, you know, it was great because, you know, you know, there's too many times that you fall out of one of these events at two o'clock in the morning, drunk and, you know, bouncing back to your nice comfy bed and you see what yeah. the real world's like outside and you yeah. think... Yeah. There's not a whole lot I can do to sort this now by clicking my fingers, but I can do a little bit. And I think that's that that's to me social conscious is consciousness is important. And you know, the more that you start walking about with daft things like this in your wrist that mean absolutely nothing in the real world. Absolutely. That that's when you need to get a grip of yourself. If you if you can't see beyond that, then go have a word with yourself. Totally agree. You know, it's funny because people always say, like, you know, what are words of advice that you've been given that that resonate with you? And and you guys may may or may not know, but but Ralph Lauren's always been a huge hero to me and uh, and has become a, something of a mentor uh, since I created The Rake magazine. And he says something that is always proven to be true. And what he said is that when people are unhappy, it's because they spend too much time thinking about themselves and not enough time thinking about other people. And I, I mean, every time I, you know, thought about that, it's just, it's, it's so, you know, economic in, in its simplicity, yet so true, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and everyone I know that's, you know, self-obsessed, they're the most miserable people in the world because so they're always like, well, why don't I have that? Why don't I have this? You know, why isn't my life like this? And 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 uh, and, and on the other, you know, hand, people who are, are able to be content and actually are more interested to or get more enjoyment from helping out someone else, right? Those are the people that I, I think in general are the happiest, which is cool. Yeah. You know, but I have to go back to Red Bar. I love what you guys uh, do also from a charitable perspective. And I also love the fact that it's a truly democratic organization, meaning that like everyone's welcome, right? Like there's there are some communities where again, you know, you've got to be that dude with like a Kari or like a Gronenfeld or, or what have you, right? Um, yeah. In order for you to feel like you really have a, a place there or a seat at the table. Whereas I think what I love about Red Bar, it's always about um, welcoming everyone um, as long as they're good people, respectful people, and 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 are fun people, right? Yeah, and, I mean that's absolutely true. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you a story about the last Red Bar event that happened here in the UK before COVID caused the lockdown, and it was the one that we did in association with Scottish Watches. I remember the most exciting watch that was on the table at Red Bar was a computer watch from the 80s. Yeah. And the guy had the docking station. Oh, and it worked. Nice. Right? And it worked. And that's pro- <laughs> and that's it worked. So cool. That's so cool. And I can't remember who brought it. It might have been the TikTok collector or somebody else. Yeah, I think it and was. And there was millions of pounds, millions of pounds worth of watches. A guy had brought a GMT with a Bakelite bezel from the 50s. There was this, that, <laughs> and the other. And this Seiko just caught my eye and it was always surrounded by loads of enthusiasm. And Red Bar cuts right through the whole monetary side of things. It cuts yeah. through your background, yeah. where you came from, how much you have. And it's people just turning up because they love the enjoyment of watches. And that's, that's what it's all about. I, I love that. Yeah, it is about people first and foremost. And if you come at, you know, broadly, it's very self-policing as well. If you come in with an attitude and a, I'm better than yeah. you, your arse will hit the deck pretty quick. You know, you'll, yeah. Um, yeah. You'll, 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 you'll not last long. And it doesn't take anyone in charge or any organisers to tell them to leave. It generally is they just don't come back because they feel, they get made to feel awkward. And they get made to feel awkward not because that's a good thing, but because that's how they've made themselves be felt because they've Correct. come in with an attitude. And yeah. I don't feel guilty about that I think you know if you want to leave and not come back and think oh I felt really bad there have a look in the mirror before you start asking yourself why precisely and and, you know that's something that we see a lot um on, on like you know sometimes you see social media posts from guys that have amazing access to watches or have great watches themselves but a lot of times it's about like kind of 
inflating their own ego, right? Oh, yeah. And it and it, and I think it's like it's you know it's interesting to me because like the guys who I consider to be the most knowledgeable and who have the most insane collections are oftentimes the most self-effacing or or the most modest, right? I'll give you an example, and I, I guess you probably won't mind me sharing this, and but maybe you will. But anyway, I'll, I'll see him on <laughs> Thursday for coffee. Well, I guess this will be be uh, broadcasted after I see <laughs> too him. Late, so too late. Too <laughs> late. So, so back to my friend Michael uh, Tay, who owns the Hourglass out here. So he's kind of rare, also, in that he is just in love with horology, and it's one of the has one of the deepest understandings um, of horology that I've ever met from anyone. I mean, he's to me, he probably won't agree, but I think he is probably the top collector in in the world or in this region, and and with with the top collector in the world, of course, being Philip Stern, right? So, so I, I walk into his office and, um, and he's got the, the prototype of, of Dufour's duality, like on his desk. Right. And I'm like, Oh shit, that's, that's mm-hmm. super cool. So what are you going to do? going to do in that context if you're a bit of a wise ass like myself, you know, you got to pull some random nugget of bullshit out of your asshole. Right. So you're like, <laughs> Hey, do you know that Dufour's um, duality was based on this, um, school project that was done by, uh, Albert Gustave Piguet, who went on to become the technical director of Lamania and created the 2310 uh, in the 30s. Um, and, and he created this pocket watch that had two oscillators and their and their, their results were averaged through a differential magnet um, a mechanism. And that's where Dufour got his inspiration for the duality. And he just looks at me, reaches into his drawer and pulls out that exact like pocket watch, which, oh, which is God. like this like you, mythical unicorn that a lot of people don't even realize actually Actually exist. They think, you know, like people, idiots like me just made shit up like that, you know, like, uh, and, and so my point is that he is the most like unassuming and, and understated and modest person when it comes to his collection. Because I think that when you really have knowledge and when you're really confident in, in you know, in your own knowledge and also you just happy and content liking what you like, you don't try to, you know, kind of try to push your opinion on anyone else and I think that that's Mm -hmm. the most the thing I love most about Red Bar and I think is the most important also like I I forgot like uh, when I started doing the 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 projects initially right Um, the limited edition projects and you know and maybe I handled it the wrong way as well but there was this one dude um, who's like this vintage watch dealer in Amsterdam and I launched the Hublot and I actually really love uh, Hublot I also really love the people behind Hublot so Jean-Claude Beaver to me has been an incredible friend um, and uh, and also, you know, has really helped shape my perception of watches. Uh, and it's always been just an incredibly kind person. And Ricardo Guadalupe is running the company now is great. And I dig a lot of, of, of the Hublots, right? Um, yeah. And I remember the guy just couldn't stop just like DMing me about how much he hated uh, Hublot. And I'm like, that's fine. But why do you need to tell me about how much you hate something? Shouldn't yeah. you just be content with that like opinion and just kind of like, you know, keep it just to yourself? Just don't buy it. Just right? don't buy or, one. Or, right. Or, you know, it's one thing to DM me the first time, right? But it's like, <laughs> you know, like, why do we need to have a unidirectional conversation involving you sending me like six to eight, like continuous messages about how much you hate it? It's like, bro, like, that's fine. You know, but it so happens that I really dig it, which is exactly why I made it. And that's why yeah. I bought it. Right. It's a dope Absolutely. launch to me. So. Absolutely. And, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with somebody in a conversation going, oh, it's not my thing. Absolutely fine. But when people get kind of on their high horse or get like, I have to preach to you about why you should hate this. It's like. Exactly. Well, expand out, Dave. When people moan about such and such a brand bringing out a new piece or changing something, it's as if someone's holding a gun to 
into their head when Houdinki brought out the travel clock. People <laughs> lost their minds at the price. Nobody's forcing anyone to buy it. Correct. No one's forcing you to buy yeah. a gyro turbine from JLC at X hundreds of thousands. So this is the interesting thing. Like, so after the travel clock thing happened, I started doing um, a little research on what Germans call Schadenfreude, right? And Schadenfreude is like taking delight in the suffering or misfortune of others, right? And I was, um, so apparently they did a study and they kind of like did these MRIs on people. And when people are um, having, like experiencing happiness, because of something genuine, like say their football team, you know, winning, uh, you know, or, or you know, the marriage of their 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 daughter or something like that, mm-hmm. the part of their brain that's being sort of um, activated or engaged is the part that's related to to their moral their morality, right? Right. So then the then they did a study of people who were deriving pleasure from um, other people's suffering, and I think I guess probably this would include if you're watching a horror movie, right? You know, if you're watching Hostel and you're like, yeah, those uh, those American teenagers really like, really deserve to have their limbs eviscerated. You know, they're so irritating, right? Um, <laughs> the the uh, the the Part of your brain that's being activated is actually this, the 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 center that produces dopamine. It's the same part of your brain that when you do drugs like cocaine um, is activated. And we try is- not to speak about cocaine on this show. <laughs> oh right, <laughs> joking. joking. Okay. <laughs> Trust you, way to bring this up. <laughs> so it's it's it's. Uh, um, well, I'm not speaking from experience. I just uh, so I so I read in a medical journal. So I'm just. I'm just <laughs> so, anyway, anyway, so. <laughs> So, so anyway, the, the the part of your brain that's being stimulated is is the same part that you know a drug addict gets from from doing whatever hit of whatever drugs that, that he, he he prefers, and it's the same part of your brain. You know, like in those laboratory like tests where like a mouse will select not to eat but press a button five hundred times to get one single dose of drugs. It's that part of your brain, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it it's a that. super 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 addictive part. So when you're ripping on something on online, especially hidden behind the veil of relative anonymity right where there's yeah. no no risk to you all you're doing is creating this kind of masturbatory pleasure for yourself yeah. and it becomes super addictive and i would imagine kind of in the context of 2020 there's so many people who are just like a bit like pissed off or just like alone or alienated or you know whatever and they're that's their pleasure source which that it shouldn't be that though right you know no it yeah be- it's where you get where you guide that isn't it you know i mean it's 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 easy to sometimes fall into that narrative because it's 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 easy to be nasty. It is really easy to be nasty. It's much harder to kind of stand back and go, you know, and to me, there's plenty of people who pick up pure pieces and, you know, they, they post it on Instagram or whatever. And it's not, the narrative isn't about, oh, look at me, look at me. It's, oh, look, I'm, I'm so pleased I've managed to get something that I've saved up for or whatever it is. And you can always tell the tone that's going on and how it's worded and how it's set, what their kind of uh, story is. But, you know, there's so many things, you know, one thing I taught myself is I'll look at some things and go, oh, God, that's awful. But then you, you kind of read it and you think, but that person's really proud that they've managed to get that. Yes. Yeah. You know, and either, either like as, as my mother always said to me, if you've got nothing good to say, say nothing. Or absolutely try try and lift yourself one stage above that, which is just say yes. There is always someone in life who's got more than you, bigger than you, richer than you, harder than you, everything than you. Always. You just don't know who they are. And exactly. you just it's, you have to be be happy with your lot and and try and if you're if you're lucky and you know you're lucky, try and give a bit of that back the way wherever you can. That's that's all you can totally, ever do. Totally, like I've we've, I've got a family member who's um 
quite senior in, in in the Church of Scotland, and but he's the most he's the most religious, unreligious person I've ever met, and I've had some great conversations with him. And I'm not, I'm you know, I'm not a practicing of any religion, but the big conversations I have with him is it's about morality, it's about how you lead your life, it's about how you view others and how you treat others. And actually, I remember him saying to me once, some of the most Christian people I know are the ones that don't go to church, and some of the most unchristian people I know are the ones who every Sunday are sitting in the front row. And, yeah. you know, that that's true. It's, you know, lead your, lead your life broadly yeah, you know, you I, want I, to be I treated. I would completely agree with that. Well, like, like my dad, who I, I think is, well... I think he tells me of my mother he's agnostic, but actually is probably pretty much an atheist. <laughs> but because uh, she's a she's a Christian, uh, he's he's to me the most Christian guy I know, right? And then whereas I had a um, someone that I was working with who no longer is part of our company, you know, but who you know claimed to be such a upstanding uh, and ethical uh, you know Christian, and yet his behavior was nothing but right. So so absolutely, it's yeah. it's it's up to you to figure out how you want to live your life and and, and hold yourself to your own kind of I guess ethics and moral compass yeah right? absolutely and you know it's, I think it's interesting that this chat's taken this kind of little left turner narrative down to this kind of area because again it brings me back to the thing whether it be about red bar or just watch buddies or whatever for me it's about people that's what it's about you know it's like mm-hmm. watches have been the vehicle for me that have allowed me to get a group of friends that I really genuinely for quite a lot of them regard as some of my absolute best friends and friends for life but the watches is just a little thing on the side that lets you get together because you, you, you come in with that same mindset same narrative and yeah there's always a few you know um whatever you want to call it, there's a few wolves in the sheep pen sometimes, but hey, you know, the, the beauty of this community is it's pretty good at purging those in a, yeah, a, yeah. As, mm-hmm. as, as genteel a way as you possibly can, you know, um, which, you know, I think, again, really it's what it's about. It's about people. I've got friends all over the world now, some of whom I've met, some of whom I've never met face-to-face, but, you know, I know that if you needed a bit of help in something, you could probably reach out and the way these people are as humans would actually feel that they wanted to help you. To- totally agree. And and that's something I'm very grateful for. You know, I- I'm also grateful for the fact that I get, I get to do something I really enjoy for a living, yeah. which is, which is, you know, a lot of times guys, well, you've got a dope job as well. Like, uh, but a lot of times um, guys like have to find something that transports them away from whatever they may do because whatever they do, they find mundane or stressful or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we get to do exactly that thing that would be our hobby anyway, which is which is amazing. But that kind of back to what you were saying, like I admire it more when when people are like take a firm stance and have the courage to take a stance between some behind something that um, that no one else has really talked about or has championed, right? So that's why, like, you know, like to me, it's super important to be like, this GP Laureato is freaking awesome. Like, I love this watch. Um, that Chopard Alpine Eagle Chrono, I think it's an amazing watch. Not, you know, I've got one of one of those over here as well, right? You know, it's um, funny, funny bringing that yeah. one up, actually. I think yeah. it was, who was it? Was it? Someone just stuck it up in Scottish Watches Barbara. Facebook. Was it by Barbara? Yeah, Barbara because stuck up the. we're doing an Instagram the, live with them tomorrow. That's right. She brought up the. I think it was the time on or the time date where yeah. they kind of um, yeah. great the grey kind of um, burst style. Beautiful. Yeah. And honestly, I, I remember seeing that probably around about the start of this year. It came out, wasn't it? Turn of the year, start of the year. And yeah, I was wandering down. Actually, funnily enough, I was wandering down uh, Bond Street with Kathleen when we were organising some stuff, and we walked past the Chopard Boutique and uh, yeah. the window, and it was all set up, and it was. Like, God damn, that's a good looking watch, you know. And we actually had a wee play with it, and I was like, "That is 
a fantastic piece and you know that's probably one piece that whenever I think okay I've got some money I want to buy a watch you think it, it's not the first one that will come to mind but one day it'll probably yeah. be the one that popped up it's like that watch and a Fasheron's overseas are the two pieces that I think nice. are amazing watches but aren't always the first one that comes to mind they just sit underneath the tideline yeah you know you know what is probably one of the most beautiful watches in the world right now is the uh, the Vacheron overseas ultra thin perpetual calendar right that, and both in the blue dial um, with the rose gold and also that skeletonized version they made as well. It's just breathtaking. Yeah. It's yeah. so stunning. Absol- absolutely. Know? And there was that piece as well that I think it was the, well, it wasn't exactly a piece unique, but it was a one-off or a prototype. Was it the titanium? Oh, I love that watch. <sighs> yeah. Yes. Please, please make that. Please. Yes. If you're listening, if you're listening, <laughs> that, Bachelor, for that make explorer, it. Dude. Hey, yes. listen, Waze Powell's got it in his drawer. <laughs> 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 Probably, that, yeah. I mean that that to me was just like oh yes oh yes yeah. but hey yeah, that's really cool some things aren't meant mm-hmm. to be well we'll brilliant. see well listen as we sort of come to the end of an hour and this has been the fastest hour yep. ever this has been incredible we didn't even get to introduce Way properly and explain who he is and where he comes from for the four people that don't know Way, tell us a little bit about what you're hoping to see over the next year we've had a really good conversation there about being humble being grateful for everything that we have considering a lot of people don't have especially this year what are the things that you're looking forward to yeah well I I think first and foremost I'm looking forward to actually being around people again and seeing them and and kind of you know shaking their hand hugging them putting an arm around them you know having a drink with them um, because part of that friendship and conviviality, uh, you know, that I mean, that's that is watch collecting to me, right? Like, I I think that it's funny. So, so I the Neapolitan Taylor uh, Mariano Rubinacci, like when, when he's describing why his the Neapolitan jacket is so soft as opposed to a British jacket, which is much more structured, right? He'll say, well, you see in Italy, uh, we, sh- you know, hug each other, whereas the British, they shake hands, right? And, and it's a cute way of saying it. But I would say that the watch industry is an industry where people have that sort of warmth and that generosity of spirit, right? And I think, so that's what I'm missing uh, the most. I think next year is going to be an insane year. You know, it was funny because this year, I think people bought more watches than ever, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, true. I, I forgot who it was, I think. And I don't want to make fun of him because I'm sure he's a cool dude. But that dude at Watch Pro was like, when, when COVID first broke out, he's like, yes, I'm now watch the prices of Rolexes will come down. And they went the opposite way, dude. They, they you know, because of the good stuff, every, everyone wanted more of it. And I, for whatever reason, and I guess this benefits us and the entire industry, um, especially for the really, you know, for the great watches, everyone was like, if I'm going to spend money on anything, I'm going to spend it on a watch because the, that, the value of that object endures forever. It's perennial, yeah. right? I might spend less. Yeah, and and you know, I had so many friends who in the beginning of the year were like, "I oh, know one or two watches maximum." And then, but you know, I just saw my buddy. Well, he was he's a great guy, and he just he bought our Lauren Ferry, and he bought our Bulgari, and he was like, "Yeah, this is my ninth watch this year." <laughs> like, wow. And I think that from a creativity perspective, from a uh, friendship perspective, from a commercial dimension related to the watch business, I think next year is going to smash it. And don't forget, you know, one of my favorite brands, Omega, um, who makes probably the watch I collect in great, no, by far the watch I I collect in greatest numbers, the Speedmaster, they've had to shift their two biggest events Right, which were meant to happen this year, freaking the James Bond movie, right? Yeah. yeah. Which is huge. And then the Tokyo Olympics the next year. So next year is going to be insane, man. Right? Yeah. 
So, so Ricky and Dave, uh, David, I, I tell you definitely next year I will I will come up to Scotland. Let's hang. Let's yeah. let's you know uh, let's go meet these guys that are making these dope fume watch styles, uh, yeah. and let's also just hang out with your community as well. Um, and and uh, absolutely. And, and the fact Sounds that we good. can do that because that was one of the things is I don't want to miss out on any more opportunities where I could do something like that. Like in this whole year, I've been like. I wish I could. Oh, you know, I've just been dying to do stuff like that. Yeah. As soon as that happens, I really want to make an effort to, to, to do all of that stuff and to have That's these meaningful brilliant. kind of like um, uh, gatherings. Well, listen, guys, thank you very much. Be sure to tune in to the next episode. We have got no idea what it's going to be about because, hey, it's coming up for Christmas and it depends what ideas we pull out of our souls. Yep, that's the one. <laughs> listen, Dave, wait, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. So we will catch you guys soon. Thank you. Have a great day, guys. See you later. Take care, everyone. Oh.